journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom. This is Adel Kozulski, and I am so glad to be back. I missed you guys. I hope you missed me too. Um, we've had a hiatus in, in broadcasting due to all the Yamim Tovim. I hope you had a wonderful Tishrei, love, a lovely Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. And uh, we are now in what we call the ordinary month. Uh, we're going to be blessing the month soon, the, at the end of this week, of Mar Cheshvan, of the bitter Cheshvan, because believe it or not, we have four weeks where there are there are no festivals, and quite honestly, I am embracing that. I am glad to be back in routine, glad to be back doing what I love best, and one of the things I do love is being with you um, every Monday between one and two, and learning Torah with you. And we've come to a very very exciting part of our learning. We started. I think maybe two or three years ago, I was actually trying to cast my mind back. I actually think it was three years ago. This time, three years ago, we started learning the book of Bereshit, the book of Genesis, and we have slowly moved through the entire book, and we are now sitting at the end of the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 49, and what we have left is to finish up the blessings that Jacob is going to be giving his sons before he passes away and just some final tidbits on how the Jews landed up um, in enslavement in Egypt. And, of course, when you start the book of Exodus, we are in the thick of it and uh, we have been uh, uh, slaves for Pharaoh for quite a number of years. But let's not jump the gun. Let's go back to where we, we need to be, and that is chapter 49. Anybody who is listening at home right now, you can pick up a Bible, turn to chapter 49 of Genesis, verse 3. Um, we, we spoke before the Tishrei break that Jacob called all his sons together, and he said, come around, I want to tell you what will happen at the end of days. We spoke about the fact that that was taken away from him, but they all came and they sat around him, and um, he begins to give a blessing to each and every son. So I think it's going to take us a couple of weeks to get through um, all the blessings. Um, but while I was uh, preparing and, and learning for, for today's session, one of the things that did strike me was that when Jacob was blessing his sons, you're going to see that actually the first um, two blessings that went to three of the sons, and we'll explain that, um, are in fact they're, they're, they're reprimands. They're, they're not blessings. And what I want everybody to walk away with is to understand what are the qualities um, that make up a Jew. Because you will see that there are things that we need to stay away from and we, that, that, that is frowned upon and that is something that doesn't exist or shouldn't exist. Um, in our persona and in the way we portray to the world. And then there are other things that we should be working on and ensuring that we carry on with the DNA that has been passed down to us all the way from Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So please join me. We're going to start verse 3. I'm going to read 3 and 4. 
Um, and the first child that receives a blessing from Jacob is, of course, his eldest son, Reuven. Reuven. Now, we will go, he will go down in order of, of his children. So let's see what he says. Reuven Bechoiri. Reuven, you are my firstborn. Bechoiri Atta. You are my firstborn. Atta Koichi, you are my strength. Bereshit Oni, um, Yeser Saes, Vyeser Oz. You are the first child of my manhood. You are preeminent in rank and preeminent in power. He was, as we call, the Bechor, the firstborn. Pachas kamayim, but you are unstable like water. Al-Toter ki alita mishkave avicha as hilalta yitzuai alai. You're unstable as water, and you will no longer be preeminent, for you have gone up on your father's bed. You have profaned my couch, and he went up. Now, just to put it in context here, we are talking um, very poetic terms, very esoteric terms. But what you will see as we go along the the blessings of the sun, you will see the various um, characteristics um, that that kind of like pass through genetically down into into uh, in, into the Jewish people, and you will see that is why the Jewish people are made up of, of all sorts of people, um, because we did we did come from twelve different brothers, even though primarily a lot of us today are really early from the tribe of Yehuda and maybe Binyamin, but we will get that, into that as well. So, what is Yaakov saying about Reuven? He's what he was saying is Reuven. You should have been my firstborn because you were my strength and you were the first fruits of my manhood. Now, why is he saying that? Because remember, Yaakov didn't marry until he was 84 years old and he remained celibate until that point in time. So what he really was saying to Ruvain is you should have had a preeminent position with your brothers and be considered the firstborn and you should have inherited everything. He would have been firstborn, which is a preeminence of itself, and you should have got the priesthood and you should have got the crown, okay, the royalty. Why? Because Ruvain was was the, the 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 first issuing, so to speak, of Yaakov's seed. But alas, we all know, and since we've been following what has been happening in the Torah, you will see that he lost that preeminence. Why? Because Yaakov says you were pachas kamayim, you were unstable as water. What does that mean? Well, there were two things that you saw that he kind of like, he wasn't consistent and he didn't have an inner strength, Ruovain. The first was, if you recall, that Yaakov had four wives. He had his two primary wives, Leah and Rachel, and their two maidservants, Bila and Zilpah. Now, um, there was a time where his couch or I guess the place where he slept was in Billa's tent. He obviously moved around with around his wives, and we know that um, Ruvain rushed into Billa's tent 
it says in the Midrash, like a raging stream. Okay, and what did he do? He picked up Yaakov's bed from Bila's tent and put it into the tent of his mother, Leah. Now, this was a very great sin. Why, says Yaakov? Because basically he's saying, you profaned my couch, meaning that there was, Yaakov was a holy man, the divine presence hovered over his bed, and when Ruvain instigated, and he went and took his bed out of Bila and put it into his mother, Leah, what he did was that he disturbed the divine presence and he caused it to depart. And Yaakov never forgave Ruvain for that. There is another um, an, another reason why Ruvain lost his birthright and the priesthood and the crown is that, if you recall as well, there was a time when um, he asked um, Yaakov to spend the night in Leah's tent rather than that of Rachel, and they had the whole negotiation with those um, love flowers, those dudaim. So with those two reasons, um, Yaakov never, ever forgave Ruvain and basically stripped him. He gave the birthright, right, the, 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 the right to be the firstborn and have certain things too. Yosef, he gave the priesthood, priesthood to Levi and the royal line to Yehuda. So he was completely, if we could use the word, dethroned. Is your shopping list longer and your time shorter? Well, Diskim Delivered has you covered from healthcare essentials to baby food, beauty and toiletries. Whatever you need, Diskim Delivered has you covered. Download the easy-to-use Diskim app and shop over 7,000 products at in-store prices that will be delivered to you within 60 minutes. Now you can relax while Diskim delivers your essentials to you. It's that simple. Diskim delivered from Diskim to you. That's Diskim Pharmacies, pharmacists who care. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Hey, welcome back. It's Adel Kozilski. And if you would like to ask a question or pass a comment on what it is that we are talking about, 34519 is our SMS line. 061895 he landed up being stripped of the birthright, the priesthood, and the royal line. Now, let's just look a little bit deeper because, as I mentioned in my introduction, all the blessings of Yaakov are here to teach us how we should behave. Now, we understood that uh, um, Reuben didn't really, really mean to do this on purpose. He did it out of respect for his mother. On both occasions, both in him moving um, his father's bed from Bila back to his mother, or for him negotiating with 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 uh, with the Dududayim, with the wildflowers, okay. But what is the lesson behind all of this? Is that no good comes when one hurries so much that he acts without thinking. And this is a lesson that we need to take into our lives. Unstable like water means that you you don't think before you act. And when you don't think before you act, there can be times where you will act in such a hurry that there will be a negative repercussion. And so this is a lesson for all of us 
to know that there is always the pause button. Before you say something, in particular, before you do something, think it out. Ask yourself, is this going to be of benefit? Is it going to land properly? Is it going to assist in what's going on as opposed to being unstable like water and, um, you know, you, you mess up? So in this case, we can see we, we learn from the negative, you know, many times that we will look up at people because we want to learn positive, but we can also look at people and sometimes learn how not to be. And this is, this is the lesson here. Again, it's not that Yaakov didn't love Ruuvain because as, as he said, you were a takoichi, vereshit oni, you were my strength and the first of my manhood, but at the same time, um, you messed up, you were unstable, like water. Think. Think before you do or you say anything. Now, one of the, the, the reasons also you can ask, why did Yosef, okay, Yosef is really all the way down the line, he's brother number 11. Why did Yosef land up getting the birthright? Surely the birthright should have just moved down one notch, um, to Shimon, to Levi. Okay, why did it move 11 notches down and Yosef became and got the, the, the honor, the respect and the responsibility of the firstborn? Well, you need to know that whenever a person does something, whether it's in, it's in deed or it's in thought, it is recorded before God Almighty, before Hashem. And what we know and we, we, we've understood is that um, if you recall going back all the way to, I think it's chapter 29 of Genesis, okay, it was the intention of Yaakov to marry Rachel. And he was deceived by his father-in-law, Lavan, and he landed up marrying Leah. Now, we've just read that he says to Reuven that you were my strength and the first of my manhood. And I mentioned there that uh Yaakov, because he was such a holy man, remained celibate until the day he got married. So since he never, ever, ever spilt seed before, it means that what really should have happened in theory is that he should have helped conceive Joseph because he was supposed to marry Rachel. Okay, um, he he landed up obviously consummating the marriage with Leah, and so that landed up conceiving Reuven. But now that Reuven has, so to speak, lost his uh, his ability uh, to remain as the firstborn, the birthright went to Yosef because it was originally destined to be his. He was supposed to, Yosef was supposed to be conceived first. So that is the first lesson that we learn, the lesson of Reuven, don't act without thinking. Don't speak without thinking. You are unstable like water. Why like water? Because water will roll and flow to the easiest point, to the lowest point, wherever it can go. And so when you land up um, thinking and speaking without thinking, you, nine out of ten times, your your words do not land where they're supposed to land and you get yourself into a lot of trouble. 
So poor old Ruven, you've got to really, really feel sorry for him being dethroned and and stripped of all his all his possible uh, um, possible uh, what should I call positions that he could have held in the Jewish people. We're going to continue with verse five now. And now he takes the next two brothers, Shimon and Levi. They are two peas in a pod. And he also, unfortunately, has to rebuke them. Shimon and Levi, Achim, Shimon and Levi, you are brothers, meaning that you're like partners. But how are you partners? The instruments of crime are your ways. Okay, let my soul not enter their plot. Let my divine essence not, um, not be identified with their congregation. For through their anger they have killed a man and through their wolf, willfulness they maimed a bull, B-U-L-L. Arur, Apam, cursed is their rage. Ki oz ve'evratam, for it is powerful and their fury is cruel. Ki kashata achalkem be'yakov ve'afitem be'israel. I will disperse them in Yaakov and I will scatter them in Israel. Wow, these two brothers also landed up getting a, a mouthful from their father before he passed away. Why, 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 and why did Yaakov say what he said? So basically Yaakov was reprimanding Shimon and Levi together because he said, you are two brothers, Shimon and Levi, Achim, you are two brothers, meaning you're always plotting together. Okay, um, and how do we know they were plotting together? Well, firstly, we know the whole story that they plotted together against Shechem. Shechem was the, the king that uh, stole their daughter, their sister Dina. And if you recall, they came in and they wiped out the entire city, including Shechem, and released Dina. Now, Yaakov is not saying that they shouldn't have been zealous and go and save Dina um, they could have. They were so strong. They were so powerful. They could easily just have gone and helped and, and, and rescued Dina. What they did is they slaughtered all the people of the city. So they have an anger management problem. Similarly, when it came to Yosef, okay, um, they were the ones that said to the rest of the brothers, let us throw Yosef into the pit. Okay, and um, the reason why Yaakov says to them, Hamas that the instruments, your 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 wares are instruments of crime. Basically, what he was saying to them when it came to Shechem, the weapons that you used to kill the people of Shechem were stolen, and weapons don't belong to the Jewish people. Weapons belong to Asav. Because his father Yitzchak blessed Esav with, by the sword you shall live. And so he reprimanded Shimon and Levi that they stooped down to the level of Esav by going out and killing indiscriminately, massacring, 
okay, um, and showing tremendous force and power against the inhabitants of a strange and foreign city. Okay, now, again, there is a fine line because what Yaakov is not saying is that, you know, we're not allowed to defend ourselves. For sure you have to defend yourself. It's a mitzvah to defend yourself. In fact, if somebody's coming towards you to kill you, you have a mitzvah to defend yourself and kill him first. He's not saying that. But what he was saying is, is that they had a, an anger management problem and in their wrath, they went and destroyed more than they should have or could have needed to have been destroyed. It would have been enough to rescue Dina and leave. It would have been enough to give Yosef a fight and, 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 and talk to him. But in their anger, they destroyed an entire city. In their anger, they got, uh, Yosef sold as a slave. So here's the next lesson. Besides us worrying about, um, what we say and what we do and that we should press the pause button, anger management is the next biggest, most important thing. And I want to talk a little bit about anger management. Um, interestingly, um, anybody who's learning the Hasidic text of the Tanya um, right now in the last week or so, uh, even until today, um, the Alter Rebbe brings an entire um, letter about anger and how anger is like serving idols. Now we know that we, that as Jewish people, we are very much a peace-loving and a life, a pro-life uh, religion where life, having life takes precedence over almost everything. For example, if uh, somebody is deathly ill and the only cure that they have is to eat something that's not kosher and against the Torah, you have to eat that which is not kosher because we value life over a mitzvah like that. That is why, um, and most of us in Johannesburg and those that are even living from afar, we will see Hatzalah, who are Shomer Shabbat people, people who observe the Sabbath, they will break the Sabbath in order to run and save another person's life because the Torah is pro-life. The only time you are not to um, put your life as a precedence against what you're told is for three sins. For murder, meaning if somebody comes and says to you, here's a gun, kill this other guy or I kill you, then you cannot go kill the other guy and say, well, my life, I mean, I've got, I'm putting my life um, as, as, as more important. You're not allowed to murder, so you have to give up your life, then murder. Idolatry, if you bow down to an idol, understandably, if you uh, somebody says to you, bow down to this idol and accept it as your God, you should rather say, or, or I kill you, you should rather be killed than bow down. And adultery, if somebody asks you to perform the act of adultery, um, you should rather allow yourself to die than commit adultery. Those are called the three cardinal sins. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because when you read the Tanyana talks about um, anger management, it says one who is angry, it is as if he has served Avodazara. He has served his, his idol worshipping. Now, one would actually like look at this and say, that is ridiculous. 
Okay, um, I can be a very God-fearing person. I can keep Shabbos and Kashrut and, and all the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. Just because I get angry at something or someone, it doesn't mean that I'm a, I am an idolater. And Alter Rebbe goes on to explain that, in fact, you are, because you are performing an act of idolatry. Let's take a step back. What does it mean when you bow down to an idol? You are negating the presence of God in your life and of God in the situation and of the idea that God is the one that runs this world all the time with absolutely everything. You are giving the power of that which has gone wrong and you are blaming the person that did it to you or the circumstance that happened to you. Therefore, you are creating an idol. A true God-fearing person will know and understand that at all times that God is in control. And nothing will happen to you that God doesn't allow to happen. So there is no such concept in Judaism as I am in the wrong place at the wrong time or I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're always in the right place at the right time and everything that happens to you, good and not good, comes from Hashem. So anger, anger is that when you get you get upset that what was supposed to happen didn't happen or what was, wasn't was supposed to happen did happen and in displaying anger, what you are saying is, I don't believe there is a God in this world. Because if you did, you wouldn't get angry. And that doesn't negate away again. And let me be clear, that does not negate that if somebody has done wrong, something wrong, that you don't prosecute him. Or that, you know, you need to have something fixed up or whatever, whatever. You still have to deal in the physical world. We're talking just about the reaction to the situation. One is not allowed to get angry. So if you come back now to Shimon and Levy, they had anger management problems. It wasn't that it was wrong that they went out to save Dina. It wasn't probably wrong that maybe Yosef needed a bit of telling off, that he was like kind of like putting his 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 uh, himself above his brothers. But in the process, they got so angry that they could not see the wood for the trees, and they acted indiscriminately. And so, what Yaakov says to them now, that um, I don't want my name associated with you. Let my soul not enter their plot and let my divine essence not be identified with their congregation. For through their anger they have killed a man and through their willfulness they've maimed a bull. Who was the man? That was Shechem. And who was the bull? That was Yosef. And then he goes, Cursed be their rage for it is powerful and their fury for it is cruel. So here is the next idea. That one needs to stand up for that which is right. One needs to act for that which is right. But one should not do it from a, a point of anger. Anger is really not good. Now, the Midrash goes on and says that the words, let my soul not enter their plot, that was referring um, prophetically to a descendant of Shimon. Shimon had a descendant by the name of Zimri, 
and Zimri organized a tribe of Shimon to dispute Moshe. Okay, so when he says, let my soul not enter into their plot, he said, even down the line, I don't want my name related to Shimon and his descendants who are going to go and dispute Moshe. Then he went to say, let my divine essence not be associated with their congregation that he saw prophetically as a descendant of Levi. Who was the descendant of Levi? Well, one of the descendants of Levi was the famous Korach. Korach gathered many men to his side, and he also disputed Moshe's authority. And so what did Yaakov say? He went and said, I do not want my name to be associated, not with Korach, who descended from Levi, and not with Zimri, who descended from Shimon. So what you can see here is that rage and anger um, really, really flowed in the bloods of these people, and they too um, landed up making big misjudgments because of their rage and their anger. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Very interestingly, just talking about Zimri, um, if you go look at Zimri in the book of Numbers and Bamidbar, it says um, the name of the man of Israel who was slain. Pinchas slayed Zimri. His name was Zimri, the son of Salo, um, a prince of the clan amongst Shimon. Okay, you can see Yaakov's name was never mentioned there. If you go and look at when the Torah speaks about Korach, it says Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kahat ben Levi, that he was the son of Yitzhar, the son of Kahat, the son of Levi. In neither case, Yaakov's name is associated with them. And so what was their, their, their blessing? And I'm putting blessing in inverted commas because it kind of like looked like a curse, um, but it was there to help them dissipate their anger management. Uh, Yaakov says, I will disperse them in Yaakov and scatter them in Israel. Meaning that I'll scatter them throughout the land of Israel. I will disperse them amongst the people. And one of the signs of Shimon's descendants is that they will be impoverished. They would be the scribes and the teachers and the school teachers. They would be scattered all over the land and they would have no place of their own. And Levi, even though Levi eventually takes on the priesthood, remember that they never received a portion in the land of Egypt and land of Canaan, apologies. And all of Levi's descendants would have to roam the field in order to obtain Mysa, the tithing and the truma, the offerings, because that would be their sustenance. So they kind of like went into an impoverished uh, state and um, again, to put it into perspective, Yaakov was not cursing his sons. He was cursing their rage and their fury because the Yetzirah that brought them had brought them to lose their tempers. And Yaakov was cursing the Yetzirah that it should no longer have an influence over them. Lesson number two, anger is a very negative but powerful force and we should be very, very careful to keep that in tow. One, because it actually shows that, um, that, uh, that, that, that we're out of control and that we don't believe in God. And two, we all know, we're all guilty that when we're angry and we lose our temper, we actually do the wrong thing.
Now, you can just imagine, the brothers are all sitting there. They hear um, Ruvain get reprimanded. They hear Shimon and Levi get even more reprimanded, like nothing, like dad doesn't seem to be in a very good mood. Midrash tells us that after they saw um, Ruvain, Shimon and Levi being reprimanded, they were all afraid um, that they would all be rebuked. And so they began to kind of like move out one by one, each one going somewhere else, because they were scared what Yaakov was going to say next. Um, and the next person in line was going to be, uh, was going to be Ruvain, right? Uh, sorry, I apologize. It was going to be Yehuda. And it says Yehuda remained. He got, he got stuck then. His face became white. And he also wanted to run away because he didn't want to hear what his father had to say. He also wanted to disappear. But listen to the beautiful message that, uh, Yaakov gives Yehuda. Yehuda, ata yoducha achecha. Yehuda, you shall, um, have your brothers submit. Yadecha bo'oref oivecha yishtachavu lacha b'nei avicha. Your hand will be on your enemy's neck and your father's sons will prostrate um, themselves to you. Gur arye Yehuda. A young lion is Yehuda. Miteref b'ni alita kara ravetz ka'arye. You have risen up from my prey, my son. Uchlavi miyakimu, and you will crouch like a lion, and like an awesome lion who will arouse you. Lo yasu shevet mi Yehuda, the scepter, okay, the royalty will not be removed, will not depart from Yehuda. Umchoykek bein raglav ad kiyavo shilo velo yikahat amim, and neither will the enforcer from between his feet depart until Shilo arrives, and to him. The nations shall submit. Now, this is all good stuff. It's, it's all it's all very cryptic, but let's go and um, unpack it. Yaakov himself realized that after he reprimanded his first three sons, that the rest of the sons were getting very uh, very um, jittery. So he begins to speak very pleasantly to Yehuda, and he says, "Yehuda, your brothers shall your du, uh, your They shall give in." To you, meaning that you won't be like the others because all your brothers will admit that you deserve respect, and I am also going to show you respect. Firstly, aside from the portion of land that he will take, like all the rest, um, Yehuda will have an advantage because he is going to hold the line of kingship. He's going to be their ruler, and they're going to everybody's going to have to give them tithes from their sheep. And he will be able to take land wherever he wants. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we call ourselves Jews, Jews are in Hebrew are called Yehudim, which means that we are named after Yehuda. We're not called Reubenites, Shimonites, Levites. We are called Yehudim. We are from the tribe of Yehuda. Okay. And the reason why is because Yehuda represents a person with a tremendous amount of um, responsible strength and leadership. Okay, and that's why he says, Yehuda, you'll be a young lion, meaning in the beginning, Yehuda's reign will begin modestly. We know that the first 
king of Yehuda's tribe was King David. King David, when he first became king, in the beginning, he was subjugated to Saul. Okay? The first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin, Shaul. But um, when David then becomes king, he started small. He was like a, li- a small lion, and afterwards he grew to be a big lion, and his kingdom spread across the entire world. Yehuda also was the one that tried to shield Yosef. If you remember, what did he say to his brothers? What gain will there be if we kill our brother? So he's the defender of the Jewish people. Another instance of Yehuda's responsible strength is that, do you remember when Tamar came out and said, whoever cloak and and scepter, and this is, um, I am pregnant by him, he knew that he had impregnated Tamar. As, as, as a ruler, then he could have just like decapitated her, sent her, you know, away and nobody knew, would have known the better. But because he was a responsible leader, what did he say? He said, um, I am ashamed. It's my guilt. I'm not denying it. And he, he, he allowed her to live. And that's why from him came, um, parrots, um, that landed up and bringing down the lineage of King David. So what he's saying over here is very, very important, that every king of Israel would come from the tribe of Yehuda, okay, and that the royal line would never be taken away from him. And the Midrash goes and tells us what type of people um, come from the tribe of Yehuda. They're presidents of academies. Um, there would be great rabbis. There would be the most of the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Court and legislature, would come from Yehuda. And for us to also know that Yehuda, this strength, this leadership um, in the world, will remain until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is the Mashiach. And when he comes, he too will be king over over uh, the Jewish people. He will come. From Yehuda. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Let's wrap up um, just two more two more verses that are pertaining to Yehuda. Okay, it says here, Oisri legefen oiri velasoreka beni atonoto kibes bayain levusho bedam anavim. Um, Soto, that he will load his young donkey with a grapevine, his she donkeys with a vine branch. He will wash his clothes in wine and his cloak will be in the blood of grapes. Hachlili <laughs> enaim, his eyes will sparkle miyain from wine, uleven shinaim bachalev, and he, his teeth will be white, um, from milk. And basically what we see over here is that even the weakest vine in Yehuda's portion will yield enough, enough, uh, enough, uh, grapes. And, um, basically he will land up always being rich. Okay. He will be soaked in wine, which is very, very important. And finally, um, every, if you go look at the blessings of uh, Yehuda, you'll see that every letter of the alpha, uh, Hebrew alphabet, with the exception of the letter Zion, is there. Zion means a weapon. And this, abs- the absence of this letter, 
indicates that Yehuda's descendants will not be like the other kings who rely on weapons to defeat the name. Weapons, again, as we said before, are Asaph's tools, not that of Yehuda. Yehuda will not defeat his enemy with weapons, but miraculously through the word of God. Finally, Chayefim has taken you into hackathons. Those are the first days of schools, huge conferences, and amazing communal celebrations and store openings. When you have Chayefim at your event, you know what? You bring 125,000 of our friends with us through the radio, of course. So if you are planning a product or a business launch, a revamp, a store opening, or any special event, why don't you also have Chayefim outside broadcast? You want to know more? Call us now on 0101 40 40 90 to find out more. And this concludes um, the first three, four sons of Yaakov. And to summarize very quickly, don't be like water and do things and say things before you think. Control your your anger because that is a form of idolatry. And let us all be like Yehuda, a leader who goes out responsibly and defends and builds and grows the Jewish people. He is wishing you a wonderful week ahead, and I'll be back for some more this time next week. Bye.